Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll look this morning at verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. Let me read that text for us as we begin. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. As you may recall, Pastor Crawford's treatment of Colossians in September and October included three sermons entitled The Christian Ministry. In those sermons, he describes some of what his ministry as pastor entails. Uh, The pastoral ministry involves, sometimes involves uh, suffering for the sake of the church. It is a sacred stewardship. Pastoral ministry emphasizes the mysteries of Christ. Its, Its method is the verbal proclamation of Christ. Its goal is the maturity of Christ's people and its power is the Spirit of Christ. So, Pastor spent three Sundays considering his ministry, his responsibilities to us. In light of that, I thought it might be a good idea to take one Sunday and consider our responsibilities to him. The microscope of Scripture was on him for three Sundays, and so today that microscope will be on us. He talked about his responsibilities from those texts. And today we'll talk about our responsibilities toward him. There are a number of passages we could look at uh, this morning to uh, consider the responsibilities that we have to our pastor. We could look, for instance, at 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'll read that. You don't need to turn there. 1 Timothy 5. 17 through 19, let the elders who rule well, let elders in churches who lead well, lead biblically, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So those pastors who lead well, lead biblically, and handle the word faithfully, they they preach and teach the word faithfully, they are worthy of double honor. And then to back that up, Two texts of Scripture. Paul quotes two texts of Scripture. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And then Jesus' words in Luke 10. He says, For the Scripture says, so for, I'm quoting these verses to back up what I've just said about giving faithful shepherds um, double honor. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. So our pastor's likened to an oxen here. Isn't that complimentary? For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. And, according from Jesus, the laborer deserves his wages. So at least part of double honor to a faithful pastor is providing for him financially. So he can focus on ministry and not financial concerns. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the text we'll look at today, let me just give you a little background about that that passage. Verses 12 through 28, we find Paul's closing 
exhortations to the believers in Thessalonica. In 12 through 15, he pens a list of commands for the church that have to do with how God's people treat one another. 12 and 13 speak of how, the, how God's people should treat their shepherds, their pastors. And then 14 and 15, Paul talks about how we should treat one another within the church family. So we'll look this morning at verses 12 and 13 and answer the question, try to answer the question, how should God's people treat their pastors? How should we treat our pastor? Now, let me just say, the assumption here is that our pastor is pastoring biblically, faithfully. And I know him. We've been here for long enough. We believe that to be absolutely true. So the assumption of Paul in this text, as he commands us to do a number of things as a church family, the assumption is that the pastors we're talking about, the pastor we're talking about is a faithful pastor following Scripture. His ministry is a genuinely biblical ministry. And as we look at this text, I've extracted the, the point, at least to me, would be simply that biblical pastoral ministry, here's the point of the text, biblical pastoral ministry should be recognized and rewarded. Biblical, faithful pastoral ministry should be recognized and rewarded. Let's pray and we'll look at this text. Thank you, Father, for this portion of your word. We are thankful for our pastor, for Melanie and the children, for your grace and kindness in their lives, for placing them here. And we are grateful that he is, um, he clearly, he doesn't hide what the Bible says about his responsibilities to us. He clearly communicates that, attempts to be the pastor he should be. And now for this time for these few moments as we consider our responsibilities to him, help us to just sit back, look at the word, allow the word to teach us, and help us to be faithful faithful members of this church family, faithful believers, and care for, respect, recognize, and reward the pastor you've placed here. Please bless our time now. We pray that Christ will be glorified I pray these things in in his name. Amen. Now in this passage, Paul's addressing believers, talking about respecting, verse 12, and esteeming, verse 13, these men who, in verse 12, labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Now is this talking about pastors or not? It doesn't say, uh, verse 12, respect those who shepherd, those who pastor. It doesn't say respect overseers doesn't say respect elders. So who is he talking about here? I believe it's very clear he's talking about elders, pastors. I say that for three reasons. So let me just clarify that. I believe he's talking about our relationship as a church family to our pastor. And I say that for three reasons. First of all, in passages like Acts chapter 14, it's clear that Paul's practice was to appoint elders in churches he had planted before he moved on to the next ministry. So the assumption would be that he probably did that here in Thessalonica. Secondly, the terminology here. Labor are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That terminology is used throughout the New Testament of pastoral ministry. It's not used of deacon ministry. It's not used of other ministries. It's used of these three terms, and terms like these are used of pastoral ministry. 
And thirdly, what's really interesting is, is the wording of the text. So look at, look at verse 12. If Paul had wanted to say that we should respect three different groups of people, notice the words labor and are over, that's one Greek word, and admonish, those three terms, those are participles. If he had wanted to communicate that these are three different groups of people, he would have put an article before each participle. So it would have been something like this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, those who are over you in the Lord, and those who admonish you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't place. He has one article that governs all three participles. So what he actually says is just what we have in our text. Respect those who labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Communicating that all three of these participles are speaking of one group of people in the church. The pastors, the elders. Now, what, looking at the New Testament, what group of people could that be speaking of? And only speaking of? Pastors, elders, those involved in that kind of ministry. So I think it's clear that he's speaking of pastors here. Now, for our purposes, we're going to consider this text by answering two questions. And here are the two questions. What must we, the members of Grace Baptist Church, continually remember? What must we keep in mind in regard to our pastor? couple things. First of all, we need to remember that our pastor is a toiler, a laborer. Look at the verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Now, this word labor is not, not the common word for work or labor. It's a very intense term. This word speaks of tedious, strenuous work that leads to exhaustion. It's uh, this word speaks of both the fact of toil and the, uh, the result of toil. So the fact, work is, is, is occurring, the result, exhaustion. It includes both those ideas. To work to the point of being spent. To work, to labor, to toil to the point of being weary and exhausted. That's the term. So first of all, our, our pastor is a toiler. He's a laborer. He's a hard worker. Or he must be, if he's to be a pastor, a shepherd here. Of this text, Calvin wrote that all idle bellies are excluded from the number of pastors. I, I, do, I love that. All you lazy guys, out. Do something else. You know, uh, all lazy men need not apply. If you're an idle belly, you're not qualified to be a shepherd. God's shepherds are hard workers. They toil in the study and the teaching of God's word. Pastor will spend a great deal of time, and he better, for our good, spend a great deal of time in the study. If I were to ask, how many of you would like to have a job where you spend your time at a desk or in a chair with books all around you reading and correlating all that you're reading, 15, 20 hours a week. How many want to do that? Okay, there's one. Sorry, Elena, you can't be a pastor. There are other reasons, but you can't be. That's not an easy job. Well, a desk job, that's a piece of cake. Yeah, not this one. Our pastor will labor in the study of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God. Good pastors labor to understand and clearly communicate the truths of Scripture. 
Now, according to Paul, they labor among us. Note that. Respect those who labor among you. And the idea is uh, that, that, that pastors are in their study, they're, they're toiling in the word, but they're, then they leave their study and they invest in people's lives. They, they serve among us. He can't, he won't, he better not spend all of his time in there. There's a famous pastor, and I won't name him, but he was known as a great preacher. But he pretty much all he did was preach. There was basically a beeline from his study to his pulpit. And, and that's what he was good at. But he didn't spend a great deal of time with his people. Well, a pastor needs to leave the study and invest his life into the lives of others. So he's working, ministering, serving among us. In, the, in our midst, in our homes, and in our lives, and with saved and unsaved people alike, really. Secondly, we need to remember that our pastor is our congregation's leader and manager. Note, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That word are over, the little Greek term, means to stand in front of, to be at the head to preside, speaks of leadership, directing and leading. It's the pastor's job to lead and set the ministry direction for the church. Now, by the way, when he sets the ministry direction, he's not just... I had, a, I had a theology teacher, my favorite teacher in the world, who used to say, so-and-so, reading a book, so-and-so, he, he just sucked that out of his thumb. He didn't get it from the Word of God, he sucked it out of his thumb. He made it up. Okay, Pastor can't do that. He better not do that. So we'll challenge him right now. You better not do that. As far as the, the leadership of our ministry, the ministry direction we're going, what we value, what is preached, how it's preached, you know, what happens in our services, our ministry philosophy, all that, that can't be sucked from his thumb. He can't make that stuff up. He can't simply, oh, this is my idea. I really think it's cool. And he can't draw it from the culture or from what every other church is doing. Let's just pull every other, what's, how, where's the wind blowing? That's what we'll do. We'll do what everyone else is doing. He can't do that. He sets the ministry direction. And what, where does he draw that information from? The scriptures, of course. Another reason why he has to be toiling in the word. Because he's leading the ministry. And we're to follow as he leads biblically. Also, we need to remember that our pastor is to be the spiritual, primary spiritual encourager and admonisher. Notice here. Are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now that word admonish means just what you think it means. It, it, it means to lovingly confront someone about unbiblical behavior, sinful behavior, and encourage them to repent. And this is done from the pulpit. There's an admonition, there's encouragement, there's, there's education, encouragement, and, and, and admonition and correction. That all happens from the pulpit. And there are times when pastor sits down with people privately or talks to them privately in some setting and encourages them regarding a certain thing or maybe challenges them, admonishes someone regarding a sin habit in their life. You realize that's the pastor's job, part of his job? 
According to this text, anyway, he is, he is the primary, at least primary, admonisher in the church family. One author says, while it is big, while it is brotherly, it is also big brotherly. Meaning, when he admonishes, either from the pulpit or personally, it's brotherly. It's out of a love relationship, a Christian brother relationship. I'm encouraging you because I love you, because we're Christian brothers, because this is not the, the way Christ would have you walk, because this is not biblical, a biblical behavior, a biblical way to respond to life situations. I love you. Let me encourage you to repent of that and to seek the Lord. But it's also big brotherly, meaning simply that there's authority behind what he says. He's not just talking to you as a Christian brother, which of course he is, but it's more than that. He's the one God's placed here to admonish. There's authority behind his admonitions because he's the shepherd here. Lastly, we need to remember that our pastor's work is for the Lord. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The term work here is kind of an umbrella term. It's a, it's, a, it's a broader term than the word labor we saw previously. This, is, this term speaks of all pastoral work. Esteem them highly because of all that he is doing in the pastoral ministry. It, it includes what he's just talked about. It includes uh, toil and leadership and, and admonitions. But the pastoral ministry is so much more than that, of course. Praying discipling, counseling. Pastors minister the word to those who are grieving, those who are suffering. Pastors are to model integrity and holiness in our church family. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that's to some degree what the shepherd should be doing. He should be able to say that same thing. I'm following Christ. I'm not sinless. Not perfect, but I'm I'm following Christ. Follow me as I do that. So these are things we need to remember. And to keep these things in mind. He's a toiler, a leader, admonisher, and we need to remember all of the Lord's all he's doing in the Lord's work. And then now secondly, second question. What must we the members of Grace Baptist Church, therefore do, based upon these things we're remembering, what are we supposed to do now? A couple things. First, we should learn to appreciate the true value and worth of our pastor. Look at verse 12 again. We ask you, brothers, to respect those men involved in these ministries, labor in this ministry, laboring, Uh, leading and admonishing. Respect those men. This word respect is is like the most common word for for know or to know in the New Testament. The little word oida. And it normally means to know. Know this person. Now, it can also have the flavor of appreciate and respect. Know that person, and based upon your knowledge, have a respect for that person. I think that's the idea here. We have a merging of these two ideas. Know your pastor, 
And because of all that you know about him, by the way, what do you know about him? Well, let's see. He's a toiler. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's over us, and he admonishes us. We know at least those things. The more you know of him, you respect him and his, and his, his, uh, his ministry struggles and challenges. One author says, Ministers are often encouraged, and rightly so, to know their members. Isn't that right? How can a pastor pastor people he doesn't know? So one of the pastor's jobs is to get to know his people. Spend time with them in group settings and individual settings. Understand their, their life challenges, their, you know, their work situation, their family dynamics. Get to know, get to know his people. Now, what would you say of a pastor who didn't get to know his people? All I'm here to do is preach. I personally, I like the, sometimes in our context, in our fundamentalism, we use the word preacher. He's the preacher. And so-and-so, he's the preacher. I really prefer personally pastor. Because preacher can simply be a guy who just preaches. And the shepherding ministry is so much broader than, the biblical ministry of pastor is so much broader than just this, preaching. Part of it is getting to know his people. What would you think of a pastor who doesn't get to know his people? Now, that's not easy, by the way. Not all of us are very forthcoming. I'm not. When someone visits me, I make them ask all the questions. I'm not one who just blah, blah. I just, what do you want to know? (laughs) And then... So we're not all that forth. Not all of us are real forthcoming. Some of us are very quiet people. Some of us are very, are very kind of, you know, everything's here. I'm not letting the whole world know all of my issues. But the pastor's job, as best as he can, is to get to know you. So here this author is writing this, and he says, Ministers are often urged, and rightly so, to know their members. But here... The members are called upon to know their pastors. And surely much of the tension that at times develops between the pastors and members would be dissipated if the members would learn to know and appreciate the duties and ministries of their spiritual leaders. So here in this text, respect those who labor and and so forth, respect your pastors, has first of all the idea of knowing them. It's not just his responsibility to know you. It's our, our responsibility to know him. What are his dynamics and what's his ministry? What's his job like? What are the challenges that he faces? I wonder how often we do that. He's talking to us about something or he's in our home or we're in a group saying we're chatting and, and, uh, and uh, he, he asks us questions and we talk and we talk. How often do we turn the tables? How's it going with you? How's school? How are the kids? How's Melanie? What are you facing right now? How can, I, how can I pray for you? When is the last time you asked pastor that question? I think he's probably asked us those questions, but when's the last time we have asked him those questions? And that's actually commanded here. I'm not making this up. Know and respect your, your pastor.
So learn to appreciate the true value and worth of our pastor. Secondly, we should hold our pastor in highest esteem. Highest esteem because of his work. Now, this next sentence is so amazing. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, because of their, their labor among us, and so forth. Esteem them very highly. Now, the word esteem, is the definition is clear, to, to hold in very, very high regard, to esteem. But what's really interesting, these two little words, very highly, which is one Greek word. That's a really amazing term. It's a, it's a superlative, very strong superlative, that literally means beyond all measure. One author says, well, he renders it abundantly out of all bounds. And then he says, it calls for a degree quite beyond imagination. So esteem your pastor in a way that has no limits. Your, your high regard, this is the command, the high regard you hold for your pastor has no boundaries, no limits. It's beyond imagination. Now, I don't know how to do that. That's an amazing thing to say. Regard your pastor. Esteem him in a way that is so high. It's indescribable. It's beyond bounds. It's beyond imagination. How do you do that? I think this terminology is used here, folks, to indicate to us how much God values faithful pastors. It's, it's beyond understanding what this terminology really, how we apply it. I think this terminology is as strong as it is to demonstrate how much God values faithful pastors. God prizes men who give up earthly pursuits in order to serve him and his people. He values his shepherds, and we should too. His people should, uh, uh, a shepherd's people should value him, hold him in the highest possible regard. We should, in the, in the terminology of this text, esteem our faithful pastor beyond measure. Now, Paul adds the words in love here, which you'd think would be obvious. Isn't that kind of obvious here? Why does he put that here? Maybe because he doesn't want pastors to be viewed as just nothing but the cold voice of authority in the church. He leads, he proclaims, he preaches, he admonishes, and we just see him that way. He's just mentioned we should esteem him very highly, but then he adds in love. Because high esteem is not enough. It must be affectionate high esteem. Paul recognizes, I think, that pastors, as they preach and lead and counsel. Now, when you're preaching and you're looking out at a group of people, and sometimes what you're saying is in their face. This is what God says we need to do here. We, not just you, me, all of us. Sometimes that can be hard for any of us to swallow. So a pastor's in a position where sometimes the words that come from his mouth are not easy to follow because they're God's words and those are sometimes challenging, convicting. 
And then the pastor leads. We're going to go this direction. We're going to focus on this. Our ministry emphasizes these things. When, and then there's counseling. Sometimes there's that face-to-face correction admonition. And all of that, all of that can breed disagreement and friction. Because here's a guy leading. Here's a guy preaching, teaching, admonishing, correcting. That can all breed friction between the pastor and, and us. I think that's why Paul adds this. It's not just hold him in high regard. Do that in love. Because that's what's going to hold the ministry together. That's the glue that's going to hold it all together. This esteem in love. And the love is, again, it's all because of the work. He's doing this for us. He's trying to lead the the church biblically. I may not always understand it. I may not always agree with this little thing or that little thing. But I know the motivation behind it is obeying God. And he loves us. I know the, the sermon I just heard last Sunday just, man, it, was, it just killed me. He was looking right at me. I know he was. He knows something. He doesn't know anything. The Bible, God knows something. If the Spirit of God uses a text to convict us, it's the Spirit of God doing that. But when there's love... I know he's preaching because he loves us. I know he's not just going and picking his favorite texts, the ones he knows are going to get me. He's working through a book. And whatever comes next, comes next. And if what comes next is challenging, convicting to me, I know the Spirit of God's involved here. I find it interesting here in verses 12 and 13 that Paul assumes that pastors in the church at Thessalonica are toilers and leaders and those who spiritually encourage and admonish. In fact, I think it's very interesting here that he, this text, in this text, we find biblical pastoral ministry defined in terms of what they do. This is what our pastor is called to do, the things we've seen here. And we are called to respect and highly esteem in love because he's doing the work of the Lord. Not because we like it always or like how he's doing it. If it's biblical, faithful to the biblical text, then we esteem highly. Now, okay, if we're going to apply this now, this, this respect, this now know him, verse 12, respect him, verse 12, esteem very highly in love. We're going to do that. Let's talk about what that entails on a practical level. First, on a practical level, understand the weight of, your, of our pastor's ministry and support his labor for the Lord. Understand the weight of it and support him as he's following the Lord. Again, the assumption is biblical ministry. Our pastor will labor among us. This is first term, labor. Of course, we know the meaning of that word now. To toil to the point of exhaustion. To be spent. That's what he's going to be doing. Dedicated ministry, folks, can drain you. It can sap your strength. Sometimes the weight of ministry can just crush a man. 
That's why Monday is the famous day for pastoral resignations. You've all heard the joke. Oh, it's Monday. It's a, it's a good day to resign. Well, that's, a, that's funny, <laughs> but that's how it is. Sometimes the weight of ministry can just crush you. And so those resignations are written. Folks, we need to do all we can to mitigate the possibility of him being exhausted. Pastoral ministry is exhausting. but We need to do all we can to keep that from happening as much as possible. We need to understand that because our pastor is toiling in the word and prayer and ministry leadership and personal ministry in the lives of others, that his time is precious and that he can easily become exhausted. It's our job to watch over him. He's watching over us, right? But we need to keep an eye on him as well. We can't let his plate get too full. Because that happens, that can happen very easily. If you see him doing something that you could do, you know, I could do that. Especially if it's kind of, I asked him, I think I asked him, yeah, the other week. So who, who, who stained and varnished the pulpit? You didn't notice it's a little darker color? Any of you notice that? I noticed it right away. It's a little darker, probably, I'm assuming, to match the table. I said, who, who did that? I assumed one of us. Oh, I did that. I had a little extra time one day. I almost looked at him and said, really? You had extra time? I think you're lying to me. It looks nice. One of us probably should have done it. We need to understand and remember that our pastor is human. That he too will struggle with discouragement. That he needs words of encouragement. And who will give those? Uh, we, are. we need to. The weight of ministry is heavy. I, I can't tell you how, how a sincere, genuine uh, pastor thanks for that sermon. It really encouraged me. Pastor... Um, this was a hard one to listen to, to hear. Thank you for it. That's such a blessing. You know, most of us live on our Google, our Google calendars now. You know, our whole life is on a calendar, Google. Do this today. If you're not the kind of person who's going to remember to drop him a card, send him an email, whatever, schedule it. Six months from to get on your Google calendar today after church, and four months from now, Tuesday, on a Tuesday, any Tuesday, write him an email. Six months later, send him a card. Six months later, uh, send an email to Melanie. And just express gratitude. Some of us have to schedule it because we just don't remember to do that. And then a year or two goes by, I haven't said a nice word to pastor for two years. None of us would intend that. But it's easy to do. Because we have our own lives. But his encouragement will be from his wife, of course. Okay, it's, a, it's wonderful when your people encourage you. Let me encourage you to do that. We need to care for our pastor. 
and his family in such a way that he can focus his energies on the Lord's work and not other things? Deacons, your job is to serve the pastor by serving and caring for the physical needs of the congregation. That's why the ministry of deacon was established in Acts chapter 6. Take pressure off pastor by serving under his leadership and caring for the physical needs of all of us. I'm thankful to say that our deacons do a good job of that. But we want our pastor to give himself over to the ministry of the word and prayer, which is stated in Acts chapter 6. And that's why deacons were established. Deacons, keep doing your job so he can focus on his job. In light of all that he's doing, folks, let's make shepherding here a joy for him. We want him to look back on all of his years of ministry here and say, it was a joy serving the Lord there. Let me just read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which says this very thing. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, our pastor is going to stand before God someday with how well he cared for our souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You don't want pastor to stand before the father someday and the father asks about ministry to you and our pastor groans. It was rough. You want him to be able to serve with joy. Also, another way to respond to all the pastors doing, submit happily to his biblical leadership. He is over us in the Lord, the text says. He will stand before the Lord someday and answer for biblical faithful ministry, for the direction of our ministry, for the faithfulness of our ministry. Do you realize how, how terrifying that is? That's a terrifying responsibility. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand, say this to yourself, I'm going to stand someday before God for the direction of this ministry. That's a terrible thought. But he is. Don't for a moment think that pastor's leadership is flippant or haphazard. It's not. If you have questions about our church's ministry philosophy or some idea that's being proposed or some decision that's been made, establish a meeting with him and go to that meeting with your Bible in hand and a teachable spirit. Pastor, I don't understand why we're doing this. I don't quite get this thing here. Bible in hand and a teachable spirit. Now, he won't always have chapter and verse. It doesn't always boil down to 1 Timothy 6 or Titus chapter 1 or whatever. Sometimes it's biblical principles, broader biblical principles. Here's why we're doing thus and so. See these, these multiple texts? Oh, yeah, I, I get that. All right. When there are questions, go to him not other people. The other people probably won't know why and what will occur probably will be division, which shouldn't be your intent. 
Pastor's authority is delegated authority. It's been given him by God, and he must therefore lead in the Lord, according to this text. He's over us in the Lord, which simply means his ministry better be biblically faithful ministry. And if it's not, (coughs) then we have another issue. If he ever diverts from biblically faithful ministry, then we need to have a long conversation, and depending on where that conversation goes, he may not be able to shepherd here any longer. Right? He knows that. We know that. The Bible controls the ministry. As it does, let's submit to that kind of leadership. Also, let's rejoice in his enriching and convicting ministry of the word. He's admonishing us. It's part of his ministry. It's it's pastor's job to preach and teach the word, and sometimes that is hard for us because the word sometimes is convicting. Isn't it our goal to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord? Isn't that our goal? Isn't it our goal to be sanctified in the way that we've already been, past tense, sanctified? Isn't it our goal to never sin again? Isn't it our goal to be holy as God is holy? Isn't it our goal to possess the fruit of the Spirit and to take every thought captive to biblical truth? Isn't it our goal to be lights that shine in an increasingly dark world? Isn't it our goal to to be like Christ and to glorify God in our earthly lives? Aren't those our goals? Say, yes, they are. We can only pursue those kinds of goals if we're being changed by the Spirit of God using the Scriptures. That being true, when the Bible is faithfully communicated to us and there is conviction, our response really should be joy, to rejoice. These are my goals as a child of God. This sermon is helping me get there. This admonition, this personal conversation that Pastor and I had that is challenging me along these lines, I realize there are changes that need to be made so I can accomplish these goals. So we should be rejoicing every time, as hard as it may be, to rejoice at being convicted and challenged and corrected. There should be joy. Lastly, We should maintain peace with pastor. Verse 13, the very end. Be at peace among yourselves. Now in this command, Paul's pulling in everyone. It's it's among yourselves. He's, He's speaking to both the members and the pastors. Maintain peace with each other. Pastors, maintain peace. Seek peace. Members, maintain peace. Seek peace. One of Satan's greatest weapons is division and discord. One of his greatest fears is a church at peace around biblical truth. He fears churches that are united around Scripture and around Christ and the things of Christ. And so one of his greatest tools is to ruin that peace to bring division, to cause discord, to bring disagreements, little ones that fester and build into big ones. 
And so the command, be at peace. Now, there are a lot of people in this room. There are a lot of different personalities. And there will be disagreements and misunderstandings and conflicts here. You know how it is. You have 100 Baptists in a room. You have 210 opinions. Hopefully not regarding doctrine. There should be no disagreement about doctrine, faithfulness to the Lord, but there are differences here. Well, Satan would love to cause division because then the church is worthless. Don't let him. Be at peace. If you're not at peace, talk to whomever, deal with your own heart, whatever you need to do. Because Satan would love to put a rift. So what do we do now as God's people regarding our pastor? We remember his ministry. Keep it in mind. The toiling, the laboring, his ministry of leadership, the fact that he's the encourager and the admonisher. I need to, I need to expect that from the word of God and welcome it when it comes. And what do we do? We should learn to appreciate the true value and worth of Pastor Crawford. And we should hold him in the highest Esteem because of the work of the Lord he's doing here. And let's be at peace with him and one another. Or Satan will eventually win. Thank you, Father, for this text. We thank you for our pastor. We ask your blessing in his life. Make him more and more like Christ. Give him energy. Give him strength as he labors and toils. Give him wisdom, continued wisdom as he leads. Make him a a man faithful with the word of God to expound it accurately. And when your spirit convicts, cause us to rejoice. Bring, keep, keep peace within our church family. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We love him. We do indeed desire to glorify, to follow him, to glorify him, to glorify you, Father. Help us to do that. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.